0: Well, it is great to be with you. Thanks, Randy. It is great to be with you this morning. Uh, It was fun to be back in home turf. I uh, interned at this church 21 years ago, and it was on South Washington, and I uh, had such a great experience that I decided I should continue being a pastor. So thank you all for your investment in me. Some of you I know well. Some of you I uh, uh, am getting reacquainted with. It was fun to be here today in particular. uh, Rhonda, who just uh, performed that beautiful number uh Rhonda and i went to high school together and somehow after high school she looks younger and i look older i don't know what happened there uh as uh as uh, doug said i grew up uh, in this area i'm uh, a michigan native but then moved to kentucky we lived there for five and a half years and then on to california and when we moved to kentucky we we learned something we learned that every rumor about kentucky not not one of them is true people don't marry their cousins, they wear shoes, they know how to read, they have teeth. All the things people say about Kentuckians are rumors Kentuckians started to keep you out of Kentucky. But we've been in California now three years, and I'm here to tell you everything you've ever heard rumor-wise about California, bullseye, right on. So... uh, it's great to be back in the middle part of the country, and it is a delight to be here. I want to thank Pastor Don for the privilege of uh, presenting uh, a biblical lesson today. It is a great honor and privilege I consider. He was very gracious in extending that to me, and I don't need to tell you, but I know you know it. You have one of the great senior pastors. Don is a wonderful man. Loves you all. He loves this church, and he serves so faithfully. He's a great example. I've used. His wisdom on many occasion where I've called or emailed and said "Hey, I just got a piece of advice and he's always there with a sage piece of advice so it's just been neat to observe from afar how God has used this church to continue to reach uh, this region and uh, hopefully my voice won't get out because I preach multiple services at my church but never back to back to back so if in the middle of this I start using sign language just play along so hey um, I'm gonna preach out of John 14 And so if you have a copy of the scriptures, feel free to find that chapter. And as you do so, let me ask you a question. Just think about this question. What stresses you out? What is it um, that causes you to lose uh, sleep at night? Maybe your doctor tells you it's contributing to an ulcer. Uh, you You feel sick about something, and you just can't get any peace. It erodes your peace. The word peace doesn't go along with this concept in your head. What is that thing? I threw that question out on Facebook to some of my friends uh, a while back, and I got some uh, answers. Maybe some of these answers would be your answers. Uh, people put on there, like, work issues um, take uh, take away my peace. Um, money issues zap my peace. Um, um, my marriage is causing problems. And I, I thought to myself... Maybe you shouldn't have put that on Facebook, but uh, if you don't have a problem in your marriage after you put that on Facebook, you know you do. Uh, some, uh, some people put on their kids or world events. One of my friends put on their teenagers, teenagers, teenagers. Did I mention teenagers? Evidently, my friend is having issues with his teenagers. Um, and, and maybe you could relate to something that I just uh, mentioned. And, and what's the problem? Well, the problem is with most of the things that stress us out, we can't get rid of. If we could get rid of them, we would get rid of them. If, if, if money stresses you out, well, you got to have money to live, so you can't just swear off money. And if your family stresses you out, no matter how hard you try, you can't get rid of those people, right? They just keep showing back up again. So many of the things that stress us out, we can't get rid of. But on top of that, the things that um, stress us out, we try to cope with them in ways that don't always help us. We try little band-aid solutions to deeper issues. Which reminds me of a story that Stephen Covey, the uh, late leadership guru, used to tell. He said there was this group of men, and they were charged with building a wood, uh, a road through this forested, wooded area. And, uh, and so each day they worked on becoming better and more efficient at building the road. And so it started out slow, you know, with the tearing down of the trees and the preparing of the soil and the, and the paving of the road. It, you know, at first they're doing 100 yards a day, and then they do a half a mile a day, and then a mile a day, and a couple miles a day, and they're really going really efficient. They're doing very well. And... As the uh, days caved into weeks, it was amazing to see the distance that they had carved in. And they were feeling very good at the rate at which they were building the road until one guy pulled out a compass and a map. And he looked and he says, Guys, we're building the road in the wrong spot. And you can do stuff that you think is really helpful. You can even become very efficient at the stuff that you do. But in the end, you might end up with a road that doesn't lead to the destination you want. And so it is with the stressors of life. So many times we try to do different things to deal with the stress and get a little bit of peace and it just doesn't work. And that's why the teachings of Jesus are so helpful. And so if you have that copy of the scriptures open, John 14, we're just gonna look at verse 27 here. Jesus says this. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Now, it's easy to get lost in the poetry of that statement. It's easy to view that as sort of um, a poem, something you might memorize, maybe a decorative item that you could put on a plaque and hang on a wall and go, oh, the piece of Jesus, isn't that neat? You can be inspired by it and not experience it. Because Jesus isn't so much about inspiration here. He's about instruction, and he's instructing us to this day. He might be looking at his disciples in the original context, but he's looking over, his, over their shoulders, and he's making eye contact with us, saying, my peace I offer you. And so if you came in the room today and you have some anxiety, you have some stress going on, you want some peace, you came on the right day, because Jesus has a message for you. And so these words, let me read them again. These words of Jesus, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The words that Jesus uttered are on the night in which he's betrayed. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. I got peace for you. Now, the disciples, in the context, the, the events leading up to what was called the triumphal entry were anything but peaceful. Guys were trying to convince Jesus, don't go to Jerusalem, people want your head. Other people were saying, go to Jerusalem and we'll make you king. And so when Jesus showed up, uh, he, was, he was put on, a, on a, a, a colt of a donkey, and, and there, were, there were clothing that were scattered in the street and palm branches because there were some people that wanted to crown him king right then and there. But just on the outskirts of the crowd, the disciples were able to see the glint of Roman helmets folded arms of religious leaders and they knew that while the the closest people around jesus were excited that next year out were not very excited they understood that there were problems afoot and so jesus says i'm giving you peace this is the night he's betrayed this is the night he is arrested this will culminate in the cross He speaks these words to men who are going to go through a fair bit of anxiousness. And it's in the middle of that that Jesus has a message on peace. And I think that's important for us to know because sometimes we approach the Bible and go, it sure would be nice to live back then. Times were so simple. Oh, it would have been neat to have Jesus around to give us those nice little soliloquies. That would be lovely. You know, he's up on the hillside, and there's probably a beach down there. We could all spread our towels out and relax. No, Jesus is speaking real-world words into real-world problems, and they apply to you and me today. And so here's what I want us to do. If you love taking notes, I'm going to have three points And the three points are really three keys three keys to experiencing peace that we pick up from this passage of scripture and the first key is this conflict isn't the enemy of peace conflict isn't the enemy of peace now that might surprise you conflict isn't the enemy of peace dash fear is the enemy of peace is fear it's one of the great ironies of life is that you can experience conflict and peace you could actually go through a war and you could still have peace in your life if you go back and read the battlefield letters of civil war soldiers even soldiers into the modern era sometimes they will talk of the loud explosions of the cannon firing of the muskets or the rifles going off and yet in the middle of this there's this overwhelming sense of like god's got this i'm not worried there's peace in the middle of the conflict and jesus says do not let your hearts be troubled Get this, don't let your, tar- your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. See, because once, once fear takes root, peace evaporates quickly. Isn't that interesting? If you think about that, that's true. Once fear grabs hold of you, it doesn't matter about the conflict, but once fear grabs hold of you, there's no chance for peace. You're not going to experience peace and fear at the same time. You can experience conflict and peace at the same time. And Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Now, why would he call this out specifically? Jesus understands that fear is the greatest enemy of peace. You hop online, you check the credit card statement, and there's some charges on there that you didn't expect. They're high charges, and you are alarmed. At first, you think your credit card got hacked, and then you realize it's your husband that put the charges on there. It's familiar stores he likes, and so you go charging into the family room, and he's sitting on his comfy chair, and he's watching his favorite sporting event, and you just give him a piece of your mind. You tear into him. You have the print out, and you fold it up into his face, and you point out all of the charges that he put on there, and how does he respond? With, well, of course, with gentleness and love, right? He goes, "Oh, thank you, dear, for thank you for that confrontation. I will endeavor to do better, right?" Anyone who's been married more than a minute knows that's not how that works. The guy with the same level of enthusiasm jumps out of his chair, and he then calls into account all of the things that she did not quite right. Uh huh. Am I right? And peace is gone because the conflict, right? No, no, the peace isn't gone because of the conflict. The peace is gone because of the presence of fear. You hop online, you see the credit card statement. Fear, well, there's not going to be enough money. Um, you, you see um, some charges, and you realize that your husband put those things on uh, the credit card and... And you begin to wonder, if he's putting this on here um, and um, we've talked about money and he's spending money in ways that um, disagree with how we had agreed to talk about money, what other things are we thinking we agree about and um, we don't really agree about? What does this say about the future of our relationship? Fear. Uh, what, if, um, what if he's doing this and I don't know about it? What else is he doing that I don't know about? Fear. Fear. It's not the conflict, it's the fear. Because once the fear enters in, the peace is gone. Now, what's interesting is most of us, when we think of peace, the presence of peace, having peace in our life, we think of absence of something, right? I mean, naturally, if I asked each one of us, hey, come up with a working definition of peace, we would say, well, no conflict or no war, no fighting or stuff like that, right? That would just be the normal way that we would describe peace because that's the definition of peace typically in English all the way back to ancient Greek. But in the ancient Hebrew concept of peace, it's very different. In the ancient Hebrew, there's a word for peace that's known as shalom. And shalom is a beautiful word. Shalom means completeness and soundness and health and wholeness. Shalom doesn't speak of what's missing. That's not the focus of shalom. Shalom's focus is what's there. And the peace that Jesus offers isn't the absence of something. Because remember, the guys, he says, hey, I'm giving you some peace. He's also giving them a world of hurt. There's a a bunch of storm front coming their way. So it can't possibly mean, I'm giving you peace. Life's going to be easier. That cannot possibly be what Jesus means. He's offering a peace. In other words, he's saying, I'm offering you something. It's going to be present in your life. So peace isn't the absence of conflict. Peace is not the absence of conflict. But it's the presence of God but here's the problem most of us don't experience the peace that God has to offer even if we're followers of God because we use the peace that the that the world uses see Jesus himself said I don't give you what peace I don't give you peace as the world gives you so how does the world give peace the world gives almost kind of peace. And this is the second key to experiencing the peace that Jesus offers us. And it, it, the key is this, is to experience the peace God offers us. We have to be fully aware that there are many lookalikes, imitations, and fakes. We have to be aware that the world offers many lookalikes, imitations, and fakes. And so you've got to be on the lookout for the three E's. Entertainment, escapes, and excuses. Um, Brady's just having a a hard time at work. He has a specialized set of skills, and uh, the problem with that is that if he loses his job, it will be very hard to replicate both his income and and a place to work. He might have to relocate if he can even find the job, and so that amps up the pressure at work even more, and so as he's struggling at work, uh, the gears are grinding with the boss. He doesn't like the boss. He's fully confident that the boss doesn't like him. And so he is struggling. Peace is gone. Anxiety is very high. And so every night he goes back to his apartment and he just plugs into the TV. He subscribes to Netflix. So he watches series after series. You name the series. If it was popular, he's watched it. Game of Thrones, Lost, whatever. He watches, he plugs in. Sometimes he watches every episode more than once. And he entertains himself into some peace. For 60 minutes or two hours or three hours, peace. He forgets about work. He's somebody else. He's somewhere else. He's living a different life. And as long as the entertainment is up there, so is the peace. But once the credits roll, once the series ends, once he has to go to bed, peace is gone. Entertainment's over. Or there's the escape. Cindy, her joke is, I'm always the bridesmaid, never the bride. It's her joke. No one else jokes with her like that. She says that She's 34. She now says she's not looking for Mr. Right. She's looking for Mr. Right now. And so she, she escapes. She escapes into the club scene, and as long as the music's loud, as long as the drinks are strong, she, she can escape. And She can have a little bit of peace. But at some point, the music dies down, the drink wears off, the party is over, and the escape is too. And with the escape diminishing, so is the peace. There's excuses. Tom and Jill, they had a star athlete, um, high performer son. Uh, the principal sent in the letters home, the letters parents put um, on the refrigerator so everybody can see the, the, the letter that um, mom puts on Instagram or Facebook, the picture of, so that she can brag and make you feel bad about your parenting skills. And, uh, and they feel great as parents. That was last year, this year's a different story. No more Instagram, no more Facebook stories. The letters aren't the letters you tell your friends about. It's the same principle, different theme. If he doesn't shape up, there's gonna be problems. He's not showing up for class. He's not doing well. He was a starter last year. He's riding the bench this year. And so Tom and Jill, they have another couple they like to hang out with. And And as long as they're with that couple uttering excuses, it's that school, it's that principal, it's the teacher, it's the coach, it's the friends that he has made. If only they were better friends, it's that youth group, whatever. Whatever's the excuse, as long as the mouth is moving and the excuse is there, there's a little bit of peace. But their friends at some point go home and and the excuses wear off and the peace evaporates. And Jesus says, "I want to work deep inside you. I don't want to give you the peace that the world offers. The world offers a peace. It's an OK. It, it can last. It just won't last for very long. The antidote isn't what the world offers. So what does God offer? What's the peace He offers? If you tune back deep into the Old Testament, go to the book of Isaiah, you see some poignant teachings, very brief but very helpful on this whole peace theme. Isaiah 26:3, Isaiah 26:3. I'll read it. If you want to turn there, you can. But this is what the prophet Isaiah says about this whole theme. You, speaking to God, it's like a prayer, will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose uh, thoughts are fixed on you. And Isaiah is saying is that God is going to offer a peace that transcends all the circumstances, peace in the middle of hostility, peace in the middle of conflict, because that's the era in which Isaiah is writing this stuff, and he's offering it to anyone. Peace to anyone? Well, anyone who reciprocates, anyone who trusts in God, anyone who fixes their eyes on God. I mean, God respects people. This is one of the great themes throughout the Bible. God respects your privacy. If you stiff-arm God and go, God, you know what? I don't really want you in my life. I don't want you instructing me. I want to do what I want to do. Guess what? You're not going to get, like, blessing from him, and you're not going to get peace. He respects that. He says, okay, if you want to keep me on the outer circle of your life, you're going to get outer circle fruit in your life. In fact, it's one of the, I wouldn't say amusing, it's one of the saddest things is when people complain, oh, God didn't show up for me here. God didn't do this for me here. But then you probe a little bit and go, what's the role of God in your life? And you find out God doesn't play any role in their life. Hit church every now and again, maybe, but that's it. That's all God gets. And then we complain that God doesn't perform for us. But God doesn't perform for us. So, Anyone who doesn't trust in God, who doesn't fix their eyes on him, they're going to have to use the peace vehicles that the world offers as short-term as those are. And that's why Jesus and what he offers is so profound and so marvelous. This is the third key. Jesus wills us peace that is designed to last. The peace that Jesus offers is designed to last. He says this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. And there's something really easy to miss here. We could see this as sort of like a salutation, like a, hey, nice talking to you. See you guys later. Peace out. That's how we could view that. But that isn't what Jesus is saying. The words, the verbiage he's using, especially in the language that he uses at that time, isn't the stuff that he leaves, is like a will. As in an inheritance, a bequest, someone has something and they pass it along to you. But in order for an inheritance to truly be given, what has to happen? A person has to die. And so the full fruit of this will happen shortly after Jesus utters these words. Jesus will die and in the process he will give them this great endowment. Remember the context in which Jesus is saying this. This is the night that he is arrested and beaten and will culminate in his crucifixion. Jesus offers composure in the midst of adversity, joy in the middle of pain, calm in the middle of chaos. And so what is this peace that he is offering? What is the peace that he's offering? Well, the peace that he is offering is the presence of jesus in our daily lives guaranteed by what jesus did on the cross see jesus gives us a brand new perspective that's what he's given he's given an entirely new perspective because how you view life will determine how you live life and if you look at the context in which jesus uttered those few sentences if you just go back to the very beginning in fact take a look at it right now John 14, starting in verse 1. This is the same dialogue with the disciples. It is the same teaching. It is the same night. The theme started back at the very beginning. He says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. In other words, don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Don't let the peace erode. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to go prepare a place for you? When everything's ready, I'll come and I'll get you, so you will always be with me where I am. Now, isn't that interesting? Jesus brings up what? He's bringing up heaven. He's bringing up the afterlife. He's, he's bringing up what happens after we die. Now, now, here's the thing. If your life is just the, kind of that situation between your birth and your death, if that's all you have, you have this dash in between birth and death, and that's all you have, then it makes total sense to be full of anxiety and worry and stress. Because if this is all you have, and then either your consciousness ceases to exist, or you just sort of meld into some other life force, but you yourself as a personality are gone, if this is all you got, then, then you should be stressed out. If your marriage isn't everything that you hoped it would be, then it makes absolute sense that you would be very frustrated or just throw the thing away because why well if all you got is this you got to make the most of this you have to do what thoreau said you got to suck the marrow out of life if your work and you spend a lot of time at work isn't the kind of work you like to do no wonder you're angry all the time because all you have is now And some of us, we have friends in our life that just walk around frustrated all the time. Every little thing just ticks them off. How come? Well, many times it's because this is their worldview. All I got's now. I got to grab it now. The great social scientist, uh, Eric Erickson, last century, he said his people at their golden years, their retirement years, he said if they can look back and they say, I've done some good stuff here. I've accomplished what I want to accomplish. Then they enjoy their retirement years, but if they look back and go, it didn't work out. That's it. It didn't work out. Then their entire golden years, as you might call them, are full of frustration and anger and stress. How come? Well, because all I got is now. And now it didn't turn out the way I hoped it would. But if, but if what Jesus is teaching us here is true, and it is, that there is a life after this. If Jesus, when he says, when everything's ready, I'm going to come and get you so you will always be with me where I'm, there's heaven. There's a life after this. What's Jesus saying? When you realize you're built for eternity, you can really withstand just about anything. When you have an eternal perspective, it will give you an endurance, a stability, a strength of character that even in the darkest of moments, you go, away. There will come a day when I won't be experiencing this anymore. Hey, absolute worst case scenario, I die. <laughs> and then after that, it's pretty good. Worst case scenario. So, so is that it? Is that what we're supposed to do is just go, God, would you just please strike me dead now? <laughs> is that, I mean, is that it? Like, oh, man, life stinks right now. I can't wait to get to heaven. Uh, be, that'll be great there. It's just kind of rough here. Is that what we're supposed to do? Or pray that the annoying person that lives next door, like, Lord, call them home. Is that what we're supposed to do? It'll be better for them there. They won't bother me. You know? Is that what we're supposed to do? Well, no. Well, no. That, that, that is not what Jesus is saying because Jesus offers, yes, an eternal peace, but he offers a peace now. He said it to his disciples. He says it to us. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. He wasn't just saying, hey, look, heaven will help you out. That'll give you a perspective for endurance. So, so here is the big question, that how do I experience peace? How do I get that? Because I don't know about you, but I need that. I need that in my life. Well, let's turn back to the words of Isaiah the prophet, because in those just few little sentences or that, that one sentence, that little clauses in there that will be very instructive. He says this, when you keep in perfect, you will keep. It's a prayer, Isaiah says. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. What's he saying? What, what is Isaiah saying? God will do it. This is going to be a work of God. God will keep you in perfect peace. And so how do you do it? Well, there's a couple little clauses built in there, not to just anybody, but to all who trust in you. And so there's this thing, um, there's, there's this thing that every, every person at some point has to, uh, has to confidently trust in God. They have to, at some point in their life go, okay, God, if this was Vegas and I was a betting person, I'd just put all my chips on you. That's it. I'm all in. And so there's the individual moment in time where a person goes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna confidently depend upon God. But then for the follower of God, I think what Isaiah is saying here is that there's those moment by moment, God, I read the quarterly reports and I'm not 100% sure how, um, how the next phase of operations is gonna go. And so I, I'm gonna confidently depend upon you. The doctor says, it's grim. I'm not sure uh, what my options are, but God, I'm going to confidently depend upon you. I'm in a a stage of parenting. I was good at this stage, and I'm not so sure about this stage. God, I don't exactly have all the words. I, I don't exactly know what to do, but I will confidently depend upon you. So Isaiah says, you want peace? Confidently depend upon God. And then the second clause he says is, this peace that God will build into your life is for those, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And so that second clause means we have to immerse ourselves in God. You have to immerse yourself in God. So the obvious question is, are your eyes fixed on God? Sometimes, for some of us, when we don't experience the peace, and maybe we're faithful in parts of our life, but, but we're not experiencing peace, we're just full of anxiousness, the question is, is what are you fixing your eyes on? We all fix our eyes on something every one of us is completely fixated on something the the tv shows the music the the magazines or media we're saturated with all that stuff there's the social groups you ever have that friend that you lost touch with and then you you see him again and all of a sudden they completely change their look they're a very different person they talk differently maybe for the better or maybe for the worse and we all have those people in our lives. Well, what happened? They were fixated. They fixed their eyes on a social group or a new thing, and they changed as people, maybe for the better, maybe for the worse. What are your eyes fixed on? What, what, are, you, um, what are you pouring yourself into? Is it God? I mean, is God, where, how could you fix your eyes on God? Uh, how much of your life, how much of you, if you were to go, you know what? Uh, Daily, it's more like God gets an every third day fixation. I fixate on him every third day for about 20 minutes, maybe honestly 10. But I just am not experiencing any peace in my life. How could you turn that around? What could maybe you edit out of your life to make some room in your life for that which would bring peace? And what could you add? As a pastor, it's always... Um, I, I have to admit, I, I, I get it from time to time where people go, it's really nice that you're a pastor because you get to spend all your time with God. Actually, as a pastor, I spend most of my time with people's problems. Uh, <laughs> but then I also have people go, well, it must be nice to be a pastor because you get paid to study the Bible. Well, yeah, I, I do, but I also spend time in God's word just like anybody else could over a cup of coffee in the morning. I spend a little bit of my day every day marinating on the Word of God. Actually, I I go through a Bible kind of process, this thing called the One Year Bible, because under normal circumstances, I would never come up with a reason to read Deuteronomy. But I have a Bible reading plan that forces me once a year to read Deuteronomy and all the other books that people go, I I might not read that one this year. And in the process, I spend a little bit of time with God, and I'm amazed that even in Deuteronomy, I'm amazed at what God will bring to my life on a day-to-day basis if I will just fix my eyes on Him. And so uh, my my parting challenge for each one of us in this room is to ask two important questions. Um, Am I depending on God? And if I'm not, how could I? And am I fixing my eyes on Him? And if not, how could I? Um, Let's stand, and I'm going to pray for us. Father, I know in a room like this, there's a lot of people who lack peace. I know that there's a lot of anxious hearts. No one ever brings anything light to church. We all bring burdens here. And so, Lord, we look to the teachings of James in the New Testament who said that we are to draw near to you and you will draw near to us. And so we ask, God, that as we draw near to you, that you would draw near to us. Lord, my friends in this room are very dear to you. And so help us, Lord, to draw closer into the relationship that you offer us. Help us to truly depend upon you and help us to fixate our eyes on you. And we pray this in Jesus' name and everybody said.